0: hello and welcome to the next episode of Downboard board game lane i'm your host andrew and it is monday december 19th and we are continuing down my top 100 games of all time as well as talking about a board game adjacent hobby today and the hobby that i wanted to discuss was miniature painting now miniature painting mini painting whatever you want to call it definitely goes hand in hand with the board gaming hobby whether you are a warhammer player whether you're a dude on a map a giant robust gamer who just likes looking at these figures across sprawling terrain or you just want to add a little personal touch to your board game it's a great way of doing it so much more anymore than the kickstarter games that come out the deluxe the collector's editions of these board games always seem to have a mini variant to them instead of the cardboard standees you get these 3d printed models that look absolutely wonderful but even though the quality of the miniatures are always so impressive Sometimes it's hard to distinguish someone playing your games without colored bases or a little bit of color. So what's your thought on mini painting? I have been trying to do it. I am not very good at it. I've been trying to get inspiration from Goober Town Hobbies, another YouTube channel. Who did a video of painting with the cheapest quality paints you can find like the craftsmart paint or the paint you can find at Hobby Lobby or Michaels or Walmart whatever is near you and paint miniatures based off of that so that's what I've been trying to doing I have Craft Smart paint but I did buy some wash and painted on wash that I think will help improve in my skill for it and it's something that I haven't painted too much on it I painted some in my little side, and I started painting some in flamecraft but I do want to get better at this because I've seen so many wonderful jobs of these painted miniatures and this like awe-struck and gushing over these I movies mean, like if that was part of my game it'd make it look so cool. Or I want to be that person who goes, you know what, I did that. I made this game look so much better than what it is, and it's already one of my favorite games, so it just pushes it that much further up. But I know it's one of those things where people say, well, you have to be good at art. You have to be good at that. Let me tell you, for somebody who's drawn a lot growing up as a kid, somebody who's always had a pen and paper in front of them, who I have taken every art class my high school had to offer, I love digital drawing and art sculpting modeling clay this by itself is a different beast to tackle if you've never done anything like this it's very unique because i take painting classes i thought you know i think i can do this i think i have the painting no no you're learning completely new so it's a hobby anybody can start because you have to learn a whole new techniques on how to do things anyway when you start doing this you might as well do it but that's my opinion on miniature painting as i do more i'll probably talk more about it um yeah just a great thing to do a great little hobby to do um very much recommend doing that if you can and and it doesn't have to be an expensive side hobby or you think your board gaming is expensive enough no i think i went through black friday sale and got a a lot of different varieties of paints i think it's been eight dollars and four dollars on a bucket for them and probably paid another fifteen dollars for brushes so i mean it's not that bad of a setup and those will last and last for a long time all right let's get into the top 100 games of all time and we are now in number 40 number 40 came out in 2016 number 40 is Histrio. Histrio is a game for two to five players. It uh, plays in about 40 minutes. Uh, ages 10 and up. Designer Bruno Catala and Christian Martinez. Artist is Jeremy Flory and publisher is Bombix Games. Well, it's that special time of the year when the entire kingdom gathers at the court for a theatrical festival. Acting tropes from all over the land will come together to perform plays of the lighthearted comedy or the soul-wrenching tragedies. Will their performance win the favor of the king or will his fickle mood spell a flop? In history, you travel through the land recruiting actors to join your troupe. Assembling the right team might earn you enough money to pay for an entire year of shows. It'll take careful planning, a little luck to outperform your competitors, the play is the thing in Histrio, oh, and the world is your stage. Because in this game, at the beginning of each round, cards are dealt to eight different cities where players can travel and recruit actors. Some of the cards are actors, some grant money, and several are animal characters with unique and special abilities. Players then secretly select the city where they will travel, and then all players simultaneously reveal their chosen cities. If a city was chosen by only one player, that player gets all the cards of the city, all the actors, all the money, all the special cards. If a city was chosen by more than one, though, nobody gets the cards. All the cards are discarded. Each player then gets a secret objective card instead, and any actors that are used to influence the king's move move toward either comedies or tragedies. At the end of the season, players earn money based on how many comedian or tragedian actors They have to compare to the king's mood. The player with the most money at the end of two full seasons will win the game. It is a wonderful, wonderful game. I have to admit it's not one of those games that play well at two. I would say out of the two to five player count, maybe the three to four range is probably the best. Because in a two player game you're playing double handed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but nobody really likes to play double handed unless they're kind of forced to um but within these eight cities you have a lot of options everything is open information except the cards that are dealt with the players at the beginning of the game each city you know exactly which actors have it you know the king's mood at the time so it's like okay he's definitely in for a comedy Cities six five and one have comedy actors some in city six has the best comedy actor So I think I'm probably going to go to that, but is everybody else thinking the right way? Is everybody else going to go for that? Because if everybody does and you tie, you're discarding cards. And then whatever cards were used now sway the king's mood instead of requiring the actors. So it becomes this very tactical decision of how do I get the comedy cards that I need or the tragedy actors that I need to help win the King's Mood or do I think about what other people are going for and influence the King's Mood swaying it in the position that's more favorable to me at this time. Very very overlooked game. I don't know very many people who talk about this game. The only uh, people that I know of on like Youtube or Evangelist for this game are the Brothers Murph. Um, how i heard about it and it is so so good um definitely like the theater theme i don't see that a lot in board games it makes me feel like like i am in control of this troop and then i get this king who can't make a decision so i gotta constantly adjust and not to mention money is very tight in this game it is very good that's why it's my number 40 histrio 39 uh came out in 2009 uh Two-player game that me and my wife have played a lot of, it's Jaipur. Jaipur, again, two-player only game. Plays in about 30 minutes, ages 12 and up. Designer is Sebastian Pachon. Artist is Vincent Dutre. Publisher, Space Cowboys or Gameworks, depending on the uh, version you have. But in this game, you're one of the two most powerful traders in the city of Jaipur, the capital of Rajasthan. But it's not enough for you because the only merchant wins with two seals of excellence. Well you have the privilege of being invited to the Mirage's court where you are therefore going to have to do better than your direct competitors by buying, exchanging, and selling at better prices all while trying to keep an eye on both your camel herds. So Jaipur is a fast-paced card game. It has a blend of tactics, tactics, risk, and there's also some luck. On your turn, you can either take cards from the market or sell cards. If you take cards, you have to choose between taking all the camel cards to increase your herd, taking a single item from the market, maybe it is cloth or maybe it is a uh, spice or tea or maybe it's gems, rubies or silver, or swapping two to five cards between the market and what's already in your hand. If you sell the cards, you get to sell only one type of good, AKA all cloth, all coal, all silver. And you receive as many chips for that good, AKA victory points, as the number of goods that you sold. If you sold three spices, you get the top three spices chips. The values will decrease as the game progresses. So it's a first come first serve. If you're the first person to sell, you get the highest value of that type of good. So you got to be in a constant rush. On the other hand, you receive increasingly higher reward if you hold out and sell quantities of 3, 4, or 5 and not just 1 or 2. So is it worth the wait? Is it worth selling that 1 or 2 because you know you're going to get the highest point? And let me tell you, saving sometimes if you can get five of the same type of good and sell that. sometimes that bonus point that you get is completely random. You don't know what you're going to get. Your opponent doesn't know what you got. Could very well win you the game. Now, you can't sell camels in this game, you cannot sell your herds, but you can trade them. And they're also worth a little something extra if you have the most at the end of the game. Sometimes having the most camels will get you enough victory points to win the game and are also a tiebreaker. So you have to use your camels very smartly as well, because your camels don't count towards your hand of your resources. They're automatically on the table. You can take two to f- one to five, and if you take all five and you have five camels, you'll like, I'll take all the cards, here's all five of my camels, I have a full hand of cards, and there's a hard limit. What you can have. Like you can only have, I think, six or seven cards max in your hand. You cannot ever go over. So if you think you're gonna go over, you have to sell instead. So you can get yourself too precarious of situation because once cards leave, it gets randomly dealt from the deck. So you'd be like, I just needed silver, so maybe I take a couple of extra cards. I max my hand out because silver is probably not going to come up. And next thing you know, bam, there is that silver that you're looking for. And your opponent knows that. So what are they going to do? They're not going to leave it for you. They're going to take it to their hand because now do you hopefully find the other silver in the deck or do you sell what you have? All of these decisions make for an excellent two-player game. It's not very hard. It's also a very cheap game if you can find it. Um yeah really good small play area you probably play on it on the plane as long as there's not any turbulence but overall that's why it's my 39 jaipur 38 38 replaced the game for me um it came out this year in 2022 it's dice realms dice realms is for two to four players Plays in 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. Ages 14 up. Designer is Thomas Lehman. Artist is Martin Hoffman, Claus Stefan, and publisher is Rio Grande Games. So, in dice realms, players vie to improve and expand medieval realms while they contend with uh, nature and each other. So, realms are represented by customizable dice with faces of the dice that can be popped out and upgraded for better faces. Each game is different during the setup, players draw 5 tiles from a bag of 35 to determine which extra die faces are available beyond the 5 standard lines. The five standard are lands which are worth victory points, farming which gives you grain, commerce which gives you coins, settlements that give you defense and progress that gives you upgrades. So each player begins with two identical dice with the same faces and can gain more dice during the play. In addition to upgrading all their dice, players play simultaneously. So there's not very much waiting or downtime. To begin, players roll their dice with one player rolling uh, the weather dice, or the fate die, or the um, weird random die, whatever you want to call it and this will affect all players whether there's going to be a drought or a winter so if like a winter appears on a fake die all players must pay one grain for each dice their own because it's winter you've got to save you got to store you got to feed your people and or if they can't they take a negative two point misery because their people are now miserable because you can't feed them during the winter players may re-roll one dice for free and use any rerolls or set of dice tokens that you got to change your dice rolls. So players will then resolve anything that's on their dice, showing any attacks or defense, going clockwise. And it is just a very, very good simple game. It's one that I think I like better than a deck builder to effect that I like rolling dice. I mean, rolling dice is just as random as shuffling a deck of cards. And sometimes you have more random because people can loosely shuffle or just cut a deck. So it's not really as random as just chucking a dice to roll a table. And it's very much how you want to make your, your city, your settlement, your dice. Do you want pure land? Do you want victory points? Do you want to upgrade your dice for points? Do you want to get better technology? Do you want have the soldiers and army and constantly go to war with your neighbors do you want to defend yourself hunger down do you want to constantly feed your people and there is different three ways of ending the game as well it's during during a round if any player needs to use a 10 point the victory point token a negative 10 token or 10 grain token because every smaller value token to be used the game ends so regardless of what you do the game will eventually end by one of those three conditions but it's how you want to do it. It is such a good, because every dice face you upgrade would be worth victory points. Every victory point you get would be worth victory points. Then you have your miseries, which are negative, And then you have your grains, which can also be victory points, or even tie breakers at the end of the game. It's just an interesting concept of dice upgrading. Uh, this game replaced Dice Forge for me just because this is a much better, simpler theme than the pantheons so i like it so much uh one game that's expensive just because of how much intricate details and changing out the dice faces are but it is very very good it's my number 38 dice realms 37 37 came out in 2021 won the spiel de jaris of the year it is cascadia is one to four players plays in 30 to 45 minutes, ages 10 and up. Designer Randy Flynn, artist Beth Sobel, publishers Flatout Games. So, Cascadia is a puzzle tile lane game and token drafting featuring habitats and wildlife of the Pacific Northwest. So, in the game, you take turns building out your own terrain area and populating it with wildlife. You start the game with three hexagonal habitat habits. And then with the five types of the habitat in the game, like mountains, or water, or grasslands, or meadows. And on a turn, you choose a new habitat tile paired with a wildlife. And then you place a tile next to one of your ones that you already have to build out your ecosystem. And then you place the wildlife token on one of the habitat. Each tile depicts one to three types of wildlife from the five types of the game. And you can place at most only one animal on each tile you get. So four tiles are on display, with each tile being paired randomly with the wildlife tokens. So you must make the best of what's available, unless you use nature tokens to uh, redo the animals or mix up your, your picks. So ideally, you can place habitat tiles to create matching terrain that reduce fragmentation that creates wildlife corridors, mostly because you score for the largest area. So at the end, if you have the largest cluster of mountains, you'll get some victory points, for that. or the largest cluster of water, you'll get some victory points. For that. So you're not wanting to break up your ecosystem. You're wanting to keep it as tap as possible. So but at the same time, you want to be able to place these animals because they have very specific homes. When you get a tile, it might say, an e- only an eagle can live on, on this tile. Well, you need to get an eagle at some point. Or maybe you get a tile that says a bear, a fox, and a salmon can be on this tile. Well, one of those would be fine. But each animal wants to score differently. Your bears might want to be a family and be together. Your eagles might want to be very spread apart. Your fox might want to be surrounded by different animals. Your salmon might want to be in a salmon row flowing down a stream. Your elks might want to be in a little herd or maybe spread out. So you have to, one, place these tiles that shows what animals can live in it while not breaking up your own land while also trying to make sure you satisfy the animals. Because at the end of the day, the animals are what's going to give you the most points in this game that will cause it to win. But it's such a good game. You take a tile in an animal, you place it. It's very simple, very easily taught. And there's the family version. I taught this to my wife's aunt. Um, we played the family rules where there was no special abilities for the animals. The animals, you just needed to group them together where if you get a group of two, three, or four, depending on how many you get, you score the points of that specific animals. So much easier to do than, oh, these bears need to have a group of two and a group of three and a group of four. No, no, just get your pairs of animals, and then we'll score by that. And it went over so well. It was so easy to teach, and I am glad it won this field of Charis for 2021. Such a good game. Um, recently, it was hard to get. <laughs> you find anywhere because it was so popular but i think now you can get it anymore but if you haven't played it you want a great welcoming game that involves just tile placement and great nature animals i recommend cascadia as my 37. 36 um what people call sometimes a filler game but I personally enjoyed it. comes out in 2021, Dice Miner. Dice Miner is from one to four players. Plays in 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes at most, depending on the number of players. Desi- ages 10 and up, designer is Joshua uh, Dubois, uh, Nicola Rosteski. Artist is uh, Leo Chan, and Gregory Patricks. Publisher is Atlas Games. So in this game. There were dwarves that once lived beneath the mighty mountains, and after centuries of war and defeated their age-old enemies, the dragons, they moved to the surface. So the dwarves are building magnificent cities on the surface with their re for having heartening beer, but the dragons have returned. So now the dwarves must remember their roots, clear old tunnels, return to ancient caverns while fighting their foe. And each round there are custom dice that are rolled into this mountain that's on the side so it's literally cut out of a mountain that you are just rolling dice and letting it slide to make this mountain over the course of three rounds you are a dwarf crafting and drafting dice for your horde you'll pick a dice and dig into this mountain slowly so you'll start with the top one and you'll create dice that are tunnel runs You maybe you'll find gems and money and treasures maybe you'll find pick axes or shields for the dragons or maybe you'll find hazards like cave-ins or rock slides or maybe you'll even find that dragon that has returned so it's a game of drafting dice adding them to and pushing your luck to build massive combos that score as many points as you can because it's going to be a tactical decision because i can take a dice from the top That's open. That's all I can do. Or maybe I roll a dice to my opponent that has a beer on it, say cheers, and I take two from the side. And I'm making this mountain fall and close up. Leaving less options for my opponent, but better positions for me. And they can easily do the same thing back to me. And at the end of every round, you score for the dice you have. You re-roll them so you never keep the same value of dice you drafted. They're always going to be different. And it is just a great game it is just simple simple to teach you take a dice what does that dice do well it lets you re-roll dice it gives you money it gives you points or it's hazard that you have to figure out how to deal with later that's it that's the whole simple thing to it and that's why it is my 36 dice miner a lot of people say it's a filler game and i kind of tend to agree but is it so good though i say absolutely all right 35. 35 only got to play one time, but it jumped so, so high for me. Came out in 2014, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And I really wish I could find the collector's edition of this for a reasonable price. Uh, but it's a game, one to four players. Uh, plays in about an hour and a half to two hours, ages 13 up. Designer Ted Alspach, Artist is Keith Curtis. Publisher is Bezier Games. So, In the castles of Mad King Ludwig, it's a tile laying game where players are tasked building an amazing and extravagant castle for King Ludwig II. But you have to do it a room at a time. You see the King loves castles, having built many before and others, but now he has commissioned you to build the biggest and best castle ever, subject of course to his ever changing whims. Each player acts as a building contractor who is aiding rooms to the castle as he's building while also selling his services to other players. In the game, each player starts as a simple foyer. One player takes the role as a master builder that sets the prices for the rooms that can be purchased by the other players while getting the pick of the leftovers after the players have paid them for the rooms. When a room is added to the castle, the player who built it gains castle points based on the size, the type of the room, where it was constructed, how it was constructed, bonuses based on the locations of other rooms, and when a room is complete with all entrances leading out to other rooms of the castle, the player receives one of seven special rewards. So after each purchasing round, a new player becomes a master builder who again sets new prices. After several rounds, the game will eventually end, and then additional points are awarded for achieving bonus goals, having the most popular rooms, being the most responsive to the king's demand. With each change of game, whoever ends up having the most points wins. This game is very, very tactical. It's tactical to the point that on your turn, you know what the king wants. Maybe he's like, I want gardens. I want nature. Okay. So you draft out tiles depending on the number of players, and you're like, okay, there's a nature tile. Um, how, Where do I set that price, 200, 400, 600, 1,000, because everybody else after you, depending on how the price you set that tiles, will buy one of those and give you money. That's awesome, but you get last pick. You have to pick last to get your tile so the way you set the prices might ensure something gets back to you or may not or depending on if somebody has a lot of money and they just don't care or how well they're playing it's a very simple decision and I split you choose but we both get a benefit because on your turn you're gonna do the same exact thing to me and then not to mention do these tiles even worth what I'm gonna do? Because I might get a room that has eight entrances. Well, I gotta fill up all those entrances by connecting to other parts of the castle. That's hard to do, and I can never completely close off my castle either because there's gotta be an entrance that leads outside and in. So it's constant decision of I can use that tile. Where do I set the price? Or I hope that they set the price cheap because I only got six hundred dollars and put it at eight or eight hundred or a thousand. I can't afford it and I have to take something less priced that I don't really want and I gotta make it fit. Ah, oh, such a good game. It is such a good game of decisions. Um, yep, definitely like that one. Want to play this game again? Well, obviously it's just I really want to play it. I want to find the nice collector's edition. It looks so good. Um hi anyway, 35, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. 34 is probably my favorite social deduction game. Came out in 2019, it's the Grim Masquerade. Grim Masquerade is for two to five players. Plays in about 20 to 40 minutes. Ages 8 and up. Designer is Tim and Ben Eisner and James Hudson. Artist is Ling Corsett and David Forrest. Publisher, Druid City Games. Well, what's happening is the Beast from Beauty and the Beast has invited you to his castle for a ball, a masquerade. When you enter, you are magically transformed into the identity of another character from the Grimm's Forest, a.k.a. Cinderella, uh, Evil Queen, Hansel, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, Rumpelstiltskin, so on and so forth, and the Beast enjoys his antics. The players will be outed if they are given two artifacts of their bane, If Rumpelstiltskin ends up getting two of the crowns, he loses. But if he gets three spindles, he wins. If the Beast ends up getting what was it, three mirrors, he wins. But if he gets two glass slippers, he loses. If Hansel or the Big Bad Wolf ends up getting two fires, he loses. But if he gets three treats, he wins. Things like that, and I might not get that exactly correct because it's been a little bit since I played it, but nevertheless, it is a wonderful game. It is a soul seduction because you don't know who it is and you're gonna make decisions. You're going to be on your turn. you're gonna be drawing artifacts. You're gonna be drawing one randomly from the deck and you have a choice, keep it or give it away. If you keep it, the next one you draw, you have to give away if you decide to give away the first artifact whatever you draw you have to keep so it's this constant decision of what happens if i give you the second treat well does that mean you're Hansel no okay because if you got your second bane you'd automatically be out but what if you're little red riding hood and i just gave you one step closer to winning you can outright accuse people but at the cost of your own artifacts that you could be close to winning or losing but will giving away the two of the artifacts or some of them end up solidifying others opinion of who you are so it's a game of last man standing wins in in three rounds whoever has the most points Wins And those points can be gaining by wagering of who you think is going to win if you're out, by accusing people or getting them knocked out because you're the one who gave them their Bane artifact or you knew exactly he was Rumpelstiltskin and you let him know that. It is a fantastic social deduction game, very, very light, not hard to understand at all, and by far my favorite uh, 34, The Grim Masquerade. All right, getting closer, 33, a classic that came out in 2011, The Castles of Burgundy for two to four players, 30 to an, minutes to an hour and a half, and that's, that's a long range, but it can go quick or long. Ages 12 and up, designer uh, Stefan Fee- uh, Feld, artists julian deval harold Lyske, and publishers alia games or ravensburger depending on when you got it so this game is set in the burgundy region of medieval france each player takes on the role of an aristocrat originally controlling a small princeton while playing they aim to build settlements and castles Practice trade along the river, exploit silver mines, and use the knowledge of travelers. This game is about players taking settlement tiles from the game board and place them into their own Princeton, which is represented by the player's individual board. Each tile has a function that starts when the tile is placed and then the placing of the tile itself into several regions, which demands its own type of settlement. If you have very... Uh, Fruitful land and very rich soil, you're going to want to place animals or plants there. You have very rocky mountain of terrain, maybe a castle. So you're going to have to place these areas and tiles in their own region where it best benefits it. So the game itself is played in five phases consisting of five rounds. Each phase begins with the game board stocked, settlement tiles, and good tiles. And at the beginning of each round, all players roll two dice. The player who is first into an order will roll a third dice. A good tile is made available on the game board according to the roll of the good die. During each of the round, players take turns in current order. During his turn, a player may perform any two of the four actions. They can take a tile from the number depot based on the number of the dice. So if you place a two dice, you can only place from a two depot. Four dice is only from the four depot, so on and so forth. So then I take a settlement from either the staging area. Let's say you got a tile from the two depot earlier, but it requires a three to play out in this area. Well, maybe I take a two earlier and then didn't roll a three. Now I roll a three and I can now take that tile from my board and now place it into my area. So after they do that, they take a settlement tile, place it on their board, or you can deliver goods with the matching dice value, or you can take an action to maybe buy from the central deport if you have enough silver built up as a wild. So each settlement will offer different benefits each action will be different benefits if you want a province that will get you a different benefit if you want to buy a market that will get you a different benefit if you want pigs that will give you a benefit if you just want um cultivation tiles i think they're there they are there's little yellowish green tiles that give you ongoing benefits each one will give you a special ability that is an option and the game ends after everybody has had five turns in over five rounds, so a total of 25 turns. So victory points are accumulated in a lot of different ways, from silver left over, from workers left over, from your types of provinces. If you have the first person to fill up your providence and your houses, you get a bonus. If you have the first person to fill up all your farms, you get a bonus, things like that. And it is such a good, good game. It's not the prettiest of games, but which is why I'm glad Um, awakened realms is now doing a collector's edition of it making the art beautiful acrylic tiles or miniatures making the game completely 3d a lot of different options and i am all for because it is my number 33 castles of burgundy all right 32 32 came out in 2015 My favorite of the North Sea games, Raiders of the North Sea. It's for two to four players. um, Plays in about an hour, hour and a half. Ages 12 and up, designer Shim Phillips. Artist, D'Amico. Publisher is Garfield Games. Raiders of the North Sea is set in the central years of the Viking Age. As Viking warriors, players seek to impress the chieftain by raiding unsuspecting settlements. And to do so, why you need to assemble a crew, collect provisions, and journey north to plunder gold, iron, and livestock. Glory can be found in battle, even at the hands of Valkyries, so gather your warriors because it is raiding season. To impress the chieftain, you need victory points. With those being acquired primarily by raiding settlements, taking plunder, making your offerings to the chieftain. However, will you use your plunder as a resource or will you use it as an offering? So players take turns clockwise order and on your turn you'll place a worker and resolve his action. Then here's the interesting thing. A worker placement game where you place a worker, you get an action. That's normal. But then you look at any of the workers that are down on the board and pick one up. And you take that action so you always have a worker to place out then you're going to take a worker back you can never take back the same worker that you placed down until next turn if it's still there so you can do that and that will give you various of extra crew provisions money um, livestock it will give you a lot of different actions as worker placement action or once you've hired enough crew and collected enough provisions you may choose to raid to rate a settlement, whether a harbor, outpost, uh, fortress, you need to meet the requirement of having a large enough crew, having enough provisions along with gold um, to rate it as military strength. And that same way it's going to be with that worker placement action where you place on a worker, you rate it, you roll dice, you compare strength and see if you can take over that outpost. And then you rinse and repeat over the course of the game until only one fortress remains or all Valkyries have been removed, or all offerings have been made. So three ways the game can end. More than likely, it's going to end by Fortresses being raided, because that's what a lot of people do. But it's a quick decision. How fast can you get up there? How fast can you be efficient to get up to the last Fortresses? It's very, very good. And the unique take on the worker placement, I I haven't seen much games where you place down a worker that's normal but then you pick up a worker and do that benefit from a worker somebody else has placed down very very different very very good and i wish that i could see that more in games because i really 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 like that uh that's why it's my 32 raiders of the north sea all right Last game on this list. We're almost there. 31 came out in 2012. It is Seasons. Seasons is for two to four players. Plays in about an hour. Ages 14 up. Designer is Regis Bonis. And he is also the artist with uh, Xavier Doran. And publisher is Libelude Games. So in this game, um, you are a a of a kingdom, and you have gathered at the heart of a forest where a legendary tournament across 12 seasons is taking place. At the end of a three-year competition, each person of the kingdom will be chosen among these competitors. Will you take your place? Will you take your items? Will you have faithful familiars to your side as you're ready to face the challenges? So it's a very tactical game of cards and dice, which will take place in two phases. The first phase is Prelude, consisting of a single card draft. So this drafting nine cards will be the main nine cards that you'll see throughout the entire game. Each age, Prelude 1 and 2, you'll get three of the nine cards that you drafted. You'll be able to see all nine first, but you get to choose when they come out. In the first, second, or third age. So after you do all the that then you're going to go into this tournament and it's kind of like this season you're going to go through seasons Uh, you're going to go through seasons of spring where water is more common to find but maybe heat and elements and fire is not very common or wind or earth so you're using the four natural elements to collect resources these resources will then pay for your cards that you collected uh, some of these cards will need these resources of elements to be able to play. And then you'll be able to also get crystals, which may give you just straight victory points at the end of the game. But here's the kicker on this game is because the rounds don't necessarily are even paced. What do I mean by that, if it's a two-player game, you have three colored dices of the four seasons. On a season, you roll all three. In turn order, you'll pick one, then your opponent picks one, and then you'll leave one. Each side of the dice has a value pip on it, one to three. If a three pip is left over, your pawn moves three points in the season, which could advance you to the next season. If it's a one pip, you're only going to move one, which could keep you in the same season, or two, which could keep you in the same season. And once you go through the four seasons, three times the game is done. So you have decisions, you have decisions of, ooh, I really, really, really need water right now, but if I leave that three pip, we are going to get to the next season, and water cannot be found in the next season. (sighs) So I guess I'll take this die, we'll have another reroll, and i hopefully get my water then. Or be like, I'm good, I'm set up just fine, I don't need anything, I played all my cards, So I want to leave the highest pip die constantly to advance towards the end of the game to put pressure on my opponent to get down everything as fast as they can. It is a very, very interesting game and it flies so much under the radar. don't see anybody really talking about it, but it is very good. Get geek-up bits for it to make the tokens so much more prettier. Don't have them, but it'd be nice. We are going into 43 minutes. This is a longer podcast as well. But I guess that's typical because as these games get better, the more excited I get about talking to them. But that's the end of this top 100 list. We are going to be 30 through 21. We are almost, almost to our top 10. And I got a treat for everybody in the top 10. I'm going to have the most important guest I'll ever have doing the top 10 games of all time with me my wife Lacey will be joining us for that top 10 sharing her games because she's the one in this hobby with me together so she's gonna do it with me but until then next week talk about hoping to get more games some played some new ones like King Hills in front of me that I just got played it one time hoping to play it a couple more so I can get a good thorough review and talk about that next week but until then Thanks for listening and have fun playing some games. Bye.